We're in a series um, that I'm just calling Greatest Turnarounds in History, and we're looking at lives of people whose lives were headed in one way. There was an encounter with God, there was something that happened, and then there was a complete turnaround. There was a, a 180, if you will, spiritually, and sometimes even physically, there was a change of direction. And when we're looking at turnarounds, it's easy for us to focus on how bad things were before, the gore of the story, or how great things were in the end, the glory of the story. But what we want to do in this turnaround series is focus on the, the change, that what was the catalyst? What was the pivotal point? What actually turned things around? Because if we just get lost in how bad things were or how great things became, we miss that pivotal point. And many of us need a turnaround in our lives. There might not be an immoral path that we're blazing a trail down, or there might not be a terrible road of illegal destruction that we're on our way towards, but we are drifting down or even walking down a path that ultimately is going to lead to regret, whether it's in our home, in our marriages, in our relationships, at work, whatever the case may be, and we need to turn around. And last week, we talked about another turnaround and how at times God sends people just to tackle us, to say, stop, don't go any further in this way in this direction that you're headed. But we're going to look at a different turnaround story today and take a look at this uh, turnaround and why it happened and maybe even find the secret to the success. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Acts. It is the fifth book in the New Testament. And the turnaround we're going to see today is with the man named Saul. We would later know him as Paul, and he wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. So he, in many ways, was, spiritually speaking, the father of the churches. He began to share Jesus with people, and those people formed churches, and that's ultimately how things got to where they are now. Could God have raised someone else up if he didn't use Saul? Of course. But that was the way God worked. And so without Saul, we'll never know how things would have unfolded. But he had a complete turnaround in his life. And at this point, we've got the Jesus movement forming, but there are no churches like this Jesus had been gone for some time. He had returned to his glory. The Jesus movement had begun, and people were beginning to tell other people. They were meeting privately. They were meeting at times secretly, and they were worshiping and having their church meetings because there was opposition, and opposition was led by a few people, and one of those was Saul. And Saul would literally take documents that gave him the legal right to do so, and he would go to places like this, houses of worship. He would come in. He would have soldiers with him. They have bodyguards with him. They would bring, drag out people from their worship places, have them arrested, sometimes beaten, and even executed because they were followers of Jesus. So people were afraid. The name Saul struck fear into the lives of the followers of Jesus, not just because physically they, they couldn't handle him, but because of the power that he came, the governmental power, the ability to be able to change their lives and shut down their places of worship and change their lives completely and even lose their lives. They were afraid of Saul and afraid of his kind. Well, Saul is in the middle of his reign of terror, if you will. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. So he's breathing these murderous threats. He's having people dragged away from their worship places and having people thrown in jail and at times even executed. And he's got the legal backing for this. 
So as he's doing all this, and you're thinking, okay, we're talking about turnarounds. I'm sure I'm supposed to somehow put myself in the position of Saul. I don't know how I'm going to be able to relate to this. I've been mad at some Christians. I've been mad at the church. I've been mad at people before, but I, I don't know how to... This is a different level of crazy. This is, I don't even know what to do here, and I don't need that kind of turnaround. I'm sure you don't. But the thing that I want us to make sure we catch, not just gloss over... It's the fact that Saul thought what he was doing was right. He thought God was happy and pleased with him because of the way he lived. He literally thought there would come a day when he would stand before the judgment seat and God would say, good job. You protected my throne from all those wild people who call themselves followers of Christ. Good job. You, you snuffed it out. You stopped the movement. I'm, I'm pleased with you. He thought he was doing the right thing. He didn't know he needed to turn around. There weren't times when he was alone and praying and say, God, I'm sorry, I punched another Christian today. I'm, I gotta quit. I just can't stop. I, just, I can't stand him. I just keep punching him. I don't know what to do. It's just a, he wasn't looking for a turnaround. He literally thought he was going in the name of the Lord. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. And some of us feel like we're doing the thing the right way and we're just trucking along. God's happy. And Jesus even said at one point, there's going to come a time when people stand before my father and they're going to be really surprised when he says, get out, I don't even know who you are. Well, yeah, you do. Like, I've, I've been doing your thing. Like, I've been going to church. I've been singing songs. I've been praying when it's appropriate. I've been moral. I've... He's going to look at them and say, get out of here. I don't, I don't know you. Yes, you do. No, you don't know me. Because you didn't do this. You didn't do that. When did I ever have an opportunity when Jesus walked right by you? And sometimes we feel like we're in the right and we need to step back and say, God, is this, is this really the case or is there a turnaround that's necessary in my life? Am I missing what's most important? Am I missing what's right in front of me? And Saul thought he was right and he was absolutely not right until he had an unexplainable, undeniable encounter with God. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. We look at the life of Saul and we say, well, was the turnaround? Well, it's kind of obvious. He had this unexpected, undeniable encounter with God and it changed everything. That just makes sense. Well, it was a part. It was a huge part, but it wasn't just the encounter with God. It just, it just wasn't this moment where he meets Jesus face to face and all of a sudden everything is different. In other words, Jesus did not just introduce himself and say, Saul, you're messed up, quit it. Because we look at that and think there, there's got to be something else going on. He's still blind. He still can't move. He's still a little bit helpless. And ultimately, he had to be led to Damascus with help from other people. So the story is unfolding. Without the encounter with God, certainly there is no turnaround, but it wasn't just the encounter with God. There was something else going on because after Jesus affected his spirit, 
Jesus still needed to affect his sight. After he touched his heart, he still needed to touch his habits. After he touched his soul, he still needed to touch his body, and that was still in process. So in verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So God reveals himself to this other man named Ananias, who is a follower of Jesus. And he said, Ananias, I've got something for you to do. I need you to hook up and connect with this guy named Saul. And Ananias said, no, there's no way. Like, he's the problem. He's the one we're all afraid of. He said, no, no, this, this is my deal. And so Ananias is willing to concede that, okay, Saul's had an encounter with God. But I don't know that he's turned things around. Maybe he's met you, maybe he's heard from your voice, but I don't know that he's had this kind of turnaround. And I don't really want to be a part of this because I don't want to die. I don't want to lose my freedoms. I don't want to be connected in this way. I don't want to bring harm into my own little church, if you will. I don't want to bring harm into my spiritual family. And Jesus continued with him in verse 15 and said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. And that mission is what we have to grasp today. Again, Jesus did not show up, drop Saul to his knees and say, quit it, stop it. Because if he had done that, Saul is just left blinded and in the dirt with nowhere to go and not knowing what's next for him. He's stuck. If you're a parent and you walk in and your kids are misbehaving, if you just walk in and say, quit it, They'll freeze for a second, perhaps, but then you leave and ultimately they're going to go back to doing whatever it was they were doing. You can come in and say, stop it. I told you. Right. You know this is wrong. Yes. Okay. And you walk out of the room and you go back 30 seconds later and they've picked it back. In other words, if we as parents want them to stop, we have to say, don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. Here's another way to do it. Here's a different toy. And I pray you don't just say, here's my phone. Like, don't, more than that. But like, here's another way. Here's something else to do. Here's a new activity. Here's a new direction. Why don't we go over here? It's not just quit it. And for many of you, that's, I think, maybe why you're stuck and you're not able to turn things around. Because you've had a moment where you've encountered God and he said, don't do that. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the people around you. You're jeopardizing your future. You're hurting your kids. You're breaking your spouse's heart. You're eliminating yourself and disqualifying yourself from the possibility of a great relationship over here. You're setting yourself up for financial ruin. You said, okay, God, I get it, I get it, I get it. If he just says stop, then you're eventually going to just go back to doing it again by default. But God shows up in our lives and says, no, 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 no. Stop doing that, but here's where I want you to go. He showed up in Paul's life and said, you can still go on to Damascus, but you're going with a new mission. 
You're going with a new purpose. You're going for a different kind of reason. And I'm going to give you a different way to live the rest of your life. So for some of us, the secret and the turnaround, the reason the turnaround has never lasted for us is because we didn't know where to go next. We just knew we needed to quit what we were doing. And because there was no replacement, because there was no new direction, we weren't able to go very far or last very long. In other words, you will outrun your past when you run to something and not run from something. That's how you're going to get past it. And I don't mean an immoral, awful, illegal past, although that might be a part of your story. But just you're going to leave where you've been and even where you are only when you're able to run to something and not just run from something. Some of you are living your lives just trying to run from where you've been. Run from this unhealthy relationship you're in. Run from this past that's caught up with you. Run from the mistakes you've made. Run from this relationship, but you're not running to anything. You're just kind of turning in circles in the field going, I don't know, I just can't stay here, I gotta go. And eventually, that indecision and that lack of purpose and mission is going to lead you right back to where you were before. That proverb that we've laughed at from time to time and I've brought up probably more than a speaker should, but as a dog returns to vomit, so a fool returns to his mistakes. And we do that. We, don't, we just go back. Why? Because we don't know what's next. And thankfully, we serve a God who doesn't just call us out of our darkness. He calls us to light. He doesn't just call us out of the mistakes we've made. He says, here, now do this. I think at times we're afraid, what's God going to do with me? Like, I like to do this kind of stuff. I'm passionate about this. I have gifts and abilities here. I'm kind of good at this activity. I've got this talent. I had this opportunity. Rarely is God going to say, don't do any of that anymore. I know you're talented and gifted and successful, but put all that aside and go over here. Most of the time, he'll say, now, I want you to go back to where you've been. Go back to what you're doing, but now you're going back differently than you came. And you're going back with a purpose. And you're going back with a mission. And you're going back now with a goal, a picture of what life could be. In other words, running to something means I'm running to a picture of what could be if I put myself in the hands of God. I'm running to a picture of what my home could be if I would actually lead it in the way that God asked me to lead it. I'm running to an opportunity and to a relationship that actually now can have Jesus as the center of it to see what will happen. I'm running to a vision, an image, a picture of what my life could be, should be, and can be if I put it in the hands of God. So how do you get that kind of picture? How do you get that kind of image for yourself? Well, we go back to the story here. How did it happen for Paul? I mean, Paul's there in the dirt, and we don't know exactly what he knew. We know he had another vision down the road. God referred to it with Ananias. But he had to connect with Ananias before he was able to see. He couldn't see what God had in store for him until he connected with Ananias. So one of the things that's going to make the change for us, if you're ready to run to something instead of just running from something, you need to spend time with people who are living sent. And I mean, not S-C-E-N-T, but S-E-N-T. Living sent kind of lives. In other words, if you look up one day and realize you're mimicking their life, you're okay with that. Some of you are surrounded by people 
at right now that if you woke up one day and lived their lives, it would scare you to death because you don't want to be anything like them. You don't want to live any way, in any way the way they are living. But that's, those are the people around you. Now, I'm not saying distance yourself from everyone you were with prior to meeting Jesus. That's not how God works in our lives. But there will need to be people that you have to intentionally build relationships with or intentionally spend time with who are living the kind of lives that you want to live. When I was first married, I didn't want to surround myself with other goofballs like me who were 21 and trying to figure the whole thing out. I actually wanted to be around some people who I felt like you, you may have a healthy marriage. At least, if not now, you will. Like you're on that path. You're leading in that way. You're treating your wife the way I hope one day I'll be able to treat my wife. You're, you're, we're going on the same path. Like your relationship with God is, is where I wouldn't mind mine being. There need to be people around you who are living that out in front of you. Again, don't distance yourself from everyone. There might be some relationships that need a little break. There might be some people you need to separate yourself from for a time until you're strong enough to go back into that setting. But for the most part, just add people into your lives, the people that you need, people who are actually living sent. Just for a moment, say, who are the people in my inner circle who are actually even asking questions like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because if you can't think of anyone you're a bad picker, but, but two, you need to say, God, I need help finding new people. I, I'm going to have to bring some people into my life, and I don't know how. That, that guy on Sunday keeps telling me to connect with people. That doesn't seem like it. He's, he asked me today to join a serve group. I don't know. I don't really want to do that. He's at, I don't know. Well, that's fine. If you don't like any of those ways, you find your own way, but you've got to have those people in your lives. If you're the only one in your circle that gives even the smallest care about what God's plan for your life is, then you, you need to add to your circle. And it's not easy. And if you're like me, trusting people is, is a challenge. And it's a slow process. But you need to have people around you who are living sent kind of lives. They know that God has sent them on to something greater. And then the other is to spend time with the sender. So who's the sender? Well, often when we pray, we say, Lord, our Savior. Well, our Savior is also a sender. Our Savior is the one who gives us our mission and our dream and our picture and our vision for what our lives could be. The sender is the one that even as a kid, before I even met the girl who would be my wife, was giving me a picture of what I wanted to be as a dad someday. I know it's weird and a little immature and maybe old-fashioned, but even as like a middle school kid, I was dreaming of that day of being a dad. I had a feeling I needed to wait a few years, but I, had, I, had, I wanted to be a dad, and I wanted that. Perhaps it was because of a good relationship I had with my dad. I, I don't know. I just loved that idea. And yesterday, my little dude turned 21 years old, and that blows my mind. And I cannot believe how quickly it went, but I know that I've been able to pour into that vision for 21 years in his life. Uh, to do whatever I could. But without that vision, if I just said, I don't know, how do we keep him happy, honey? What do we do? Well, giving him food, what does he need now? And I didn't have a picture and vision for where that could be. He might be a different kind of young man right now. If I didn't have that vision for other areas of my life, whether it's as a pastor, as a husband, whatever, a friend, I need that picture. And I get that from, in many ways, the sender. So I would encourage you maybe to pray a hard prayer, to say, Lord, 
Savior, thank you for saving me. But I know you don't just save, you send. So send me to where you want to go. Here am I, send me. In other words, when I go to work tomorrow, God, what's that supposed to look like? Am I just making more money than retiring and dying? Like, is that the plan? Because that's a weak plan. But God, I know I'm here for something more. So send me. And if you would be willing to spend time with the sender every morning and say, Lord, here I am, send me. God is going to take that seriously, and he knows your heart. He's going to put you in places that you never dreamed you would be, but you'd be able to be at a point where you're actually making a difference. And you're not just saying, God, help me to stop sinning, help me to stop sinning, help me to stop sinning. And that's, if that's the, the depth of your prayers, it needs to go deeper. It's not just help me to stop sinning. It's God, help me to see you as a sender. Send me somewhere. Because you're never going to outrun where you've been until you have something to run to. We have a verse in this, for this series that we're all memorizing along the way. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. And if Saul had just stayed in the dirt and never moved, the enemy could have looked over and said, Okay, you've had this encounter with God. Great. Couldn't stop that. But as long as you just stay in the dirt blind and don't mess my plans up, I couldn't care less. Just don't mess this up. And this is the moment where we have to be willing to admit that at times in our turnaround, we're just stuck in the dirt, blind. We can't figure out. We just know we can't go back there. We just know we can't go back, but we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're running to. And this is a promise we can hold on to together in Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, enemy of mine. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I live in darkness, the Lord himself is going to be my light. Though I'm here and I'm in this pit, I'm wallowing around, I know I need this turnaround in my life, God, I'm not staying here forever. I'm going to get up and I'm going to rise, but not just to stand. I'm going to rise and go and make a difference where you send me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being a great God and a God who sends and for every person in this place who knows he or she wants to follow you, but just doesn't have an understanding of the direction. I pray that today would be the beginning of a change there where they would be willing to say, here am I, send me. Give me a picture of what life would be like if I was fully devoted to you. What does it mean to be a man of God? God, what does it mean to be a father, a husband? What does it mean to be single and faithful to you? What does it mean to be a grandparent who is uh, carrying on a legacy and then passing a legacy down to my family? What does it mean to light up my corner of the world? What would it mean if my home was a beacon of hope in my neighborhood? What would it mean? What does that look like? And God, I pray that you as a sender would give us a vision for what could be and should be. God, for anyone in this place who's not a follower of Jesus, your word is very clear that without you there is no hope. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God, you are our only hope. And for the people in this place who are not followers of Jesus, I pray that today would be the day where they would call out right now in their hearts in the um, quiet of this moment and just say, Lord, I'm coming home. Here I come. Whatever you have for me, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready to come home. Father, thank you for your free gift of salvation, and we thank you for the hope and the future that you give us. 
But we also thank you for the plans that you've got for us. You've saved us to do good things. You've saved us to shine a light, not saved to sit. We've been saved to be sent. And God, I pray that you would send us out. Help us to be difference makers wherever we go and whatever we're doing. Show us direction and give us the courage to run there as fast as we can. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.